Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series. I'm your host, Shay Wissell. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which I live and work, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and to pay my respects to elders past and present. This podcast is proudly sponsored by ADSET, the Australian Disability Clearinghouse on Education and Training. ADSET is a national resource that aims to promote discussion, dissemination of information and advice that informs educators, disability practitioners and students with disabilities on inclusive education, teaching and support within the Australian higher education and vocational education training sector. Thanks ADSET for your ongoing support. I'm super excited to be bringing to you this special edition podcast that was live from our 2021 Living Successfully with Dyslexia conference. At the conference, I had the privilege of speaking to three wonderful women who are all very neurodiverse about how they manage day-to-day in the workplace. My guests included Autumn O'Connor, who's the Executive Editor of Teaching and Education at Be Your Best Academy, Tammy Magawa, who is a disability consultant in her own business, Square Hole Training and Consulting, and Rebecca Flower, a lecturer in the Department of Psychology and Counselling at La Trobe University. I really hope you enjoy this conversation about neurodiversity in the workplace and the ups and downs that we manage with day to day. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Dear Dyslexic podcast series. Today, I was thinking, or I was hoping to have a really interesting discussion around parenting and neurodiversity, and not just because I've become a parent, or maybe because I've become a parent, that I wanted to talk about this topic um, and to hear other people's perspectives about how they manage day-to-day when they're a neurodiverse parent. So welcome, Autumn and Tammy, to the show this afternoon. Hello. Thank you for having us. As I mentioned, I'm super excited to talk to you both because we've had some really great conversations around neurodiversity in the workplace and uh, it got me thinking about how we manage as parents and Autumn and I are both new parents to the scene. Autumn's baby is only a few months older than my daughter and Tammy, you've now got adult children so we've got both ends of the spectrum here today. That's right. I think I'm I'm representing the crone side of fertility uh, in this conversation. And I was, um, I myself have had challenges day to day managing around being dyslexic and having a baby, which I didn't really think I would. But um, I really wanted to get other people's perspectives on how they manage and uh, what are some of the things that help you day today. But before we get started, Autumn, would you like to introduce yourself to those who haven't heard from you before? Because you've been on my show a couple of times now. Okay. Um, well, I always get a bit stuck in these sorts of introductions. I'm not sure exactly how much to share, but um, I am currently working at uh, Be Your Best Academy as the executive editor. Um, what we do is um, we develop professional and personal development courses for neurodivergent adults. And I'm also the founder of Aspie Rebels, which is a psychosocial uh, group for autistics in Melbourne. Um, As Shay said, I am a new mum. My son has just turned one, um, which was an unexpected event in itself. We weren't 
expecting or wanting children and there he appeared <laughs> but I love him all the same so um, that's the my sort of introduction to well being me and this thank you awesome that's a great introduction <laughs> okay <laughs> no, it is and it's very true and authentic so thank you um, and Tammy, welcome. We haven't had an opportunity to do a podcast before, so I'm really pleased that you could join Autumn and I for this conversation today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've been looking forward to catching up with you both. Yeah, uh, really okay. Uh, I just spoke right over you. Um, <laughs> sorry, Shay. Um, I guess that's uh, probably a fair introduction into who I am. Um, so I'm Tammy. I am a late diagnosed autistic, ADHD, and dyslexic. And I also have dyscalculia, auditory processing disorder, and um, chronic pain conditions. Um, and I interrupt people because I have trouble guessing when they're going to speak or not. <laughs> um, I uh, have four adult children, three birth children and uh, one stepchild. And uh, so I've been doing the parenting thing now. My oldest is 28 and uh, got married this year, which was, um, whoa, and wonderful. Um, very, very excited to be increasing the members of our family. Uh, that's one of the cool things about having uh, children is that you get to uh, increase your family every time someone starts uh, dating somebody. So that's pretty cool. Uh, I think I've, no, no, I haven't talked about work. Okay. Uh, so um, I have a 15-year history in the community services sector. Um, I've worked in education. I've worked in uh, alternative care or foster care um, and uh, a long time now in disability. And I am a disability advocate and an independent contractor. Thank you. And I have to say that you look way too young to have a child that's 28. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, it's because I've had my hair dyed and I don't mind your listeners knowing that because um, I was uh, taken into surgery four weeks ago and the nurse asked my husband if he'd be waiting for his mother in the waiting room. Uh, so... <laughs> So <laughs> I decided that uh, ageing gracefully was not going to be a thing. Uh, <laughs> so I started going grey at 21 and uh, I'm now 48 and uh, going backwards in trying to pretend it's uh, not. Eh. <laughs> well, I just got my hair done last weekend and the week before Ava and I were both sick in bed and I just had a meltdown. I was under the covers crying because oh, I'd been waiting for so long after lockdown to get my hair dyed and cut. And I was just like, this is the tipping point. Yes. <laughs> the beginning of yeah. the end. <laughs> well, yeah. you've got your hair cut too by the looks of it, so you're looking lovely. Uh, thank you. So um, hopefully the audience will forgive me today if I'm a bit slow because I'm really tired, even though Ava is sleeping through the night at the moment. I don't know if I'm, my body's trying to catch up on eight months of no sleep. So if I'm a little bit jumbled, uh, please forgive me because I don't feel like I'm on the top of my game today. And I think that's maybe one of the challenges of uh, being a parent 
And then on top of that, having uh, a neurodiversity or divergence or whatever word people would like to use. But Autumn, what have you found as a new mum juggling work and motherhood and everything else? Um, well, I, I actually find, in, like, yes, it's difficult, but for me, I cope because of my partner and I'm really thankful to my partner. Um, he has the role of stay-at-home dad um, while I work and um, he also has a tendency to be really nurturing and caring towards me generally, even before I, we had children. Um, so when I get overwhelmed, he helps me through that. And I think that's actually a really big ask um, because having a one-year-old and having even prior to that, a, a baby that goes through sleep regressions, it's really intense and, um, you know, he manages my overwhelm and my intensity and also our, our kids. And, and I think part of it as well that makes it actually also really cool is that I work from home. Um, so while I have a home office and my son is not really allowed to see me while I'm working because, you know, we close the door, um, I do take my lunches with the family and whenever I pop out to make a cup of tea, um, I sort of sneak a little baby cuddle or I get a little chat. Um, when I, I sort of want to talk a bit about, I guess, how I feel my neurodiversities makes me a better mother. And maybe um, Tammy has similar thoughts and maybe you as well, Shay. But I feel like um, because I had a difficult childhood with my neurodiversities, I want to put forth the best possible experience for my son. And I've noticed already that he has some autistic traits. Um, and while I don't really believe in early childhood diagnoses, um, I have noticed some things that really are quite significant that really couldn't be anything other than autism. But instead of making him feel wrong for having these uh, reactions and interests, I try to remain sort of curious and supportive of him. So, for example, one of the things that he does is when he gets really emotional, um, he bangs his head um, against the wall. And he does it to self-soothe. And he does it quite aggressively. So instead of telling him off um, or trying to physically stop him, I help put words to the experience. So, uh, for example, I might say things like, honey, I know you want to hit your head. Does that help to get the frustration out? And, and then I wait for him to respond. Um, so from a very young age, uh, I, we've taught... Um, uh, my son, uh, baby sign language, which to a large degree really is just Australian sign language, and he uses it. And he also has his own little babbly words that he uses. And uh, for those listening who are parents, you get to know the babbles your child makes and what they mean. <laughs> and, um, and so he has a certain intonation and inflection of certain words when he's trying to say them, which of course he doesn't say them like English, but he says a baby version. And so then he will respond. And I listen to him. And then I might say something like, 
you know, it's okay to calm yourself using head banging, but maybe we should try the couch cushion because then it won't hurt you. And, and, and I find that every time we do things like that, where he has a sort of reaction and I listen to him and we talk, we get closer. And um, one of the things I've noticed with that is that he now only rarely bangs his head on the wall. Um, he comes to me. So if he's very frustrated or very upset, he will bang his head once or twice against the wall and then he'll crawl or walk over to me and he does the sign language for pain and sad and then he asks for a hug and then I hug him and it, it seems to just shift that reaction or sensory experience that he's been having. Um, and similarly, when he's... Um, when he's really overwhelmed with sensory stuff, um, I can hold him really tightly and, and that will help calm him down. And I sort of think that even though it's really difficult to, um, in many ways, to be with him while I have my own neurodiverse issues, I try to find a way to work with what I'm experiencing and with what he's experiencing by putting words to it and making it a learning experience and making it something that can build self-awareness. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The D-Hub is our digital learning space where you can access our first Australian e-learning courses for those working and supporting dyslexic employees, as well as webisodes, online courses, communities of practice, and much, much more. So head to the D-Hub today and start your learning journey. dhub.ddyslexic.com because you you've been diagnosed with autism it enables you to mother in a different way compared to so you know like dyslexia is generally genetic so you know my dad if he'd known he was dyslexic when I was growing up I might have been uh, supported in different ways and because you know that you have autism and dyslexia that you're, you're already in tune to how you can be helping your son if he does develop either those neurodiversities, which I think is really special. And I think it might help as um, generations go on that if parents already know that they're, they're neurodiverse, that their way of approaching parenting might be really different to how we were raised because we didn't, our parents didn't know. And so the strategies you're putting in place already that you probably missed out on as a young child growing up were extremely beneficial and the impact of the neurodiversity might be a lot different. Does that make sense? It does to me. What do you think, Tammy? Oh, I absolutely agree. Uh, one of the um, regrets that I have in life is that I wasn't diagnosed until uh, my children were late teenagers or young adults. And so I didn't have that full understanding of myself and my abilities and my unique spiky skill set as they were growing up and um, you know I my father's dyslexic my brother's dyslexic um, they were both athletic and struggled with spelling um, and reading um, whereas I love to sit in the corner with a good book um, and uh, I was the opposite of athletic so um, it's one of the many reasons why I got missed out on um, as a young girl growing up with our diagnostic systems in Australia. Um, 
I always knew that I had a big issue with numbers. Uh, I couldn't learn my timetables. I couldn't remember things other people remembered. Um, but um, because I could write and I seemed to speak well and I seemed to listen well, um, I think I learned some skills as a young child about passing way before I ever understood what that was. Um, I found out really, we, we started our journey in my family with my middle child um, being uh, diagnosed as autistic first. And then as often happens with neurodivergence, everything after that got put back to him being autistic. And uh, so I was fighting the system really <laughs> from day one, uh, the battle to have the diagnostic process um, for uh, autism and ADHD and then going privately to explore vision um, impairment, hearing impairment and dyslexia because uh, I didn't believe that just being autistic was the whole sum of everything that was happening. Um, and I was right. <laughs> and so he had weekly uh, tutoring that I paid for. Um, I was a single mum. So, again, in a different situation, um, my ex-husband uh, left when my eldest was five and my youngest was still a baby uh, and he moved uh, six hours away. Uh, so I was very much on my own and, again, not understanding my own neurodivergence. Um, and so I really relate to what uh, Autumn um, has been talking about around the, the connecting and communicating and um, that, that unique bonding that we do um, to try and meet our children where they are. Um, that was certainly how I stumbled through parenting. <laughs> um, one of my children is still not formally diagnosed uh, with dyslexia and I'm confident that they are dyslexic. Um, but now we have to go through the NDIS system um, because they're already, you know, a young adult. I'm, I'm not sure if that answers the question. Uh, I think it was more uh, a comment. I thought Sorry. Autumn did ask you if it was a question. <laughs> yeah. Well, lucky I've already pre-apologised uh, for my for my brain not functioning 100% today. <laughs> um, that's, how that's do you, two of us. How do you think that being diagnosed later in life did that then change the way you parented or did that influence how you parented, how you parent? Uh, look, I, I think it, it did change in the sense of we're all on the same playing field now. Um, I, um, I tried hard to find that balance between being helicopter mum, knowing that uh, my kids and myself were different from other people um, and allowing them to have freedom. Um, I tried not to push too hard on the academic side, um, but I mean, parenting is, is super hard, isn't it? Um, and um, I know that um, while I tried to be supportive and while I tried to make sure that we had all of the supports that we could have in place with the diagnoses that we had, um, with my children at the time um, that um, 
if we'd had more information and more resources, definitely there might have been better outcomes for the kids as far as um, their immediate after-school opportunities, uh, as far as employment, etc. Um, we really just muddled our way through as a very confused household, I think. You know, they'd ask me for help with homework. I'd have no idea um, because of my own spiky skill set. Um, you know, some of the kids were way better at maths than I was. I was better at research than they were. Um, you know, a couple of them loved reading. A couple of them found it so hard. Um, and, uh, yeah, I I, I think that they would feel that they missed out on a lot of opportunities. And, you know, um, I'm just hoping that when your kids are primary school age, that we will have been able to create enough of a social movement for dyslexia and learning disorders to be properly recognised and actually funded and resourced um, so that families can get early diagnosis and can have access to services. Um, I was in a position of case managing my own family when I was neurodivergent too. And uh, so that was, uh, you know, that was quite a, a difficult journey um, because I had to communicate between the kindies and the schools and the high schools and the different support agencies and, um, you know, the tutors and the kids. Um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd love for it to be a lot easier for you both as, as your children, you know, grow into young people and then adults. Yeah, it would be nice. I don't know how much of a change we'll see in the next five years, unfortunately, but the movement is happening, I think, particularly in primary schools uh, at the moment. Uh, I do worry that when Ava gets into primary school, I know that probably by grade four, I won't be able to help her with any maths anymore. Um, yeah. My partner I, said, oh, we have to just start learning maths. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> learning maths. Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> one plus two oranges, three oranges, right? <laughs> but as soon as there's an orange and an apple and a banana and there's a train going at 500 kilometres an hour and what is the, you know, what is X? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> right. I'm so glad my partner can do that because like, you've lost me after you had the apple. Yeah, I think that that's probably an experience that all three of us have had, even though we don't all have the same neurodivergent diagnoses, is that we have been aware that we're struggling for as long as we can remember and we know that we're really good at some things and really, really not coping with other things um, and we know that pressure of everybody around us to, you know, uh, just try harder. You could do this if you just applied yourself. You're so good at these other things. Why can't you be better at those things? And, um, I, you know, I think that that's something that we don't want to put on our children. I tried not to. Um, and, um, you know, that we, I guess we, we have that understanding of um, that it's not as simple as just we can learn it. We can, I, I can look at something every single day and I can try the singing it, writing it, etc. I'm still only going to remember two phone numbers um, and only because they haven't changed for 13 years. I have no idea what my kids' phone numbers are. Um, and I forget my ATM code most of the time. I, so I'm not, I was never going to be able to learn maths to help the kids. 
Um, but what I could do was pay someone who knew what they were doing and, and uh, beg people to help. And I guess that's, that, was my, um, that was my way of managing, not being able to support them with those types of things um, through schooling. Something that I've noticed when you were talking, Tammy, is, and from the question of getting diagnosed late, I was diagnosed late um, with my autism. And um, so you said you sort of um, kind of, uh, I can't even remember the word you used, kind of like, I'm going to use squished because I can't remember the word mm -hmm. you used, but kind of squished through things that became a bit, yeah. just trying to get things done while not knowing who you really were. And then yeah. when you knew who you were, you were able to um, interconnect situations more and become, uh, I guess, a more organised, more connected parent, yeah? And I kind of reflect on that and I think, um, although I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm a good enough mother, <laughs> um, but um, I do think that because I'm more confident in myself, and my diagnosis. So it's not so fresh that I'm not sure who I am. Um, or, and it's not to the point that I don't know who I am at all because I, I know there's something wrong, but I don't know what it is. But I'm actually quite confident with my diagnosis that I find it easier to relate to my son. And I can see, when I do see things that I'm like, oh, that's a bit autistic, you know, it's, it's actually, I can sort of see the amusing side of it and I can see how I might be able to make it um, a better experience for him because I feel confident in myself from that space. And I think that that's sort of an important distinction. Of course, everybody who's becoming a parent isn't necessarily in that perfect sense of being confidently in their diagnosis. Some of them might be undiagnosed, some of them might get it later. Some of them might still be in that kind of frantic um, finding out that you are a certain diagnosis and what does that mean and a bit all upheavally. Um, but I do think that I am a better parent now than I would ever have been, you know, three years ago or even 10 years ago, just because I have a better understanding of who I am with my autistic dyslexic identity. Is that yeah. sort of do you kind of yeah. feel like that might be the case for you too? Do you have less expectations? Sorry, Tammy. No, no, you're good. You go, Shay. I was going to say, do you have less expect less expectations on yourself? Because I know now, like I know I'm really disorganised and I'm probably going to forget something. So part of me now, like I have some a bag specifically packed for Ava that so that I know that I won't forget things. So I'm putting strategies in place like that. But I also know that that means that I'm, um, like I'm really flexible, so it's okay if Ava doesn't go down at a certain time or if something happens or, you know, I have to go see my mum because she's had a bad day or something. So I think that being dyslexic has always made me be really flexible and adaptable and so I think that's really helped in having a calm home environment where mm. we're not too, too stressed or anxious about things, which I think I, like 10 years ago I would have been really different. And even though I worry about, you know, what happens if Ava is dyslexic, how do we manage it? Or she's wriggles so much, is she ADHD? Or, you know, I'm already trying to label her and I shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> but I think in that sense it has helped um, to know where I need help and where I know I can manage really well. 
Yeah. Um, I was just uh, reflecting back on um, what you're both saying and I think that even though I wasn't diagnosed, um, I was, of course, still neurodivergent um, and so I did squish my way through things, including parenting, and I developed my own coping strategies, my own way of doing things so that I could manage the household and the children on my own. And then I had to adapt again when I fell in love and and partnered up with a single dad. And uh, he had the opposite way of uh, doing everything that I did. And that was the challenge, um, trying to do joint parenting and and all of that after I'd been so independent. But um, I think one of the reasons why it was so difficult for one of my children to be diagnosed was because I had unconsciously created a very autistic friendly environment because I was creating a home that was comfortable for me and communication that was comfortable for me and so um, it was really only the um, non-autistic and non-neurodivergent family members that were impacted by our family life and our lifestyle um, not the autistic ones Um, I kept everything very simple I read every parenting book that I could find um, for every single stage of development um, because I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't have any friends with children because I was such a young parent um, and I was fairly isolated. Um, So, um, you know, I, (laughs) I did things that horrify um, my friends who are much younger than me with young children now, um, like colour coding the children's socks and underwear. So, uh, and limiting to only having one week's worth of clothes for all the children so that I knew exactly whose clothes were in the wash and whose clothes weren't and whose socks belonged to who. Um, I didn't have lost socks because they were all the same colour. Um, you know, um, I only had so many plates and, and things in the house so that I only ever had to do so much housework. Um, you know, I, I, I was a minimalist before minimalism was a thing uh, <laughs> simply because um, I had to be um, so in control and so organised all the time to manage raising children and trying to do university and work and um, squish squish and, and try to be a parent at the same time. So, um, you know, I think um, being autistic too, I was uh, naturally inclined to pretty, you know, rigid routines um, <laughs> And uh, I am a planner, so, you know, I I would make lists and have everything organised in advance. Um, I was a bit ridiculous, really. Um, One of the stories that my family uh, enjoyed was that they took the children to the Royal Show in Adelaide and uh, they discovered when they were there with the children that I'd tucked uh, little notes with the children's names, details, my phone number, everything into their pockets and things just in case they'd wandered off um, <laughs> because I was, uh, you know, even with my own family going, okay, well, look, let's have a backup plan for this. We've got to be organised just in case. So I think um, I'm a type A person and I was a very type A parent, um, which lent towards helicoptering sometimes and, um, 
definitely overprotective, that's for sure. Um, and uh, that's something they all like to talk to me about at barbecues now that they're adults, <laughs> uh, about how much I destroyed their social lives um, because I was so concerned about them being in danger at any point. Um, but, yeah, you know, we, we all do the best we can, don't we? You know, and so we're going to do things differently because we're different laughing at the socks because my sister came over the other day to help and every sock is odd and I end up wearing odd socks and she's like my god how can you have so many odd socks and Daniel's like I know I've given up and I was yeah. just like he's just like even Ava's socks are odd and I, I don't know I just throw everything in the wash and it comes out how it comes out yeah, that's so with us too. And I was like, I, I just don't care anymore. Like since being a parent, I've actually stopped caring on a lot of those things. So while I hear you, Tabby, being a bit, you know, really controlling, I think I would have been like that, you know, 10 years ago. In fact, I was very much, my partner's been breaking down those, those barriers. Um, but now I don't really care as much. So it, it's like these two socks fit me. I'm wearing them. They don't match, but they they fit, right? You know, <laughs> like and yes. um, and 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 it really is just that. And the same with when I'm, I used to when I first, well, when I first became a parent, you know, I had all the clothes and I was being all really beautiful and everything. And now it's just like this is clean. You're wearing that and that, and it's just like you know, he's wearing a a stripy top and and you know, like a palm tree pants and a green sock and a blue sock and that's what he's going out in and I don't care and it's just like well it's clothes it does the job who's gonna judge you you know if anything they'll think you got a snazzy style (laughs) (laughs) that's fantastic that's fantastic I think I would have saved myself a lot of those gray hairs that I have now if I if I could have been more relaxed um in that way and and not so concerned about trying to do it properly um with this imaginary idea of what properly was based on the books I was reading because I didn't really know anyone who was actually doing the do and uh, I certainly didn't fit in with the um the other school moms um so you know um yeah it's it's, it's great to hear that you are you know, feeling like um, the judgment thing isn't a thing. That's really wonderful. I think uh, actually COVID kind of helped in that sense because, <laughs> you know, we're all under lockdown. So I couldn't go to any of those parent groups. I yeah. couldn't go into any of the, the um, even just the social groups, the play groups. So yeah. we had no one and we're kind of, you know, raising him in a void. Um, mm-hmm. I did read all of the books and I did feel really inadequate to start with because I was like, he's not anything like this and he's not doing any of these sorts of things and my partner again is like my rock was like well just forget about it let's just work with him on the way that our son is so we meet him where he's at um and the sign language as I said has been this huge thing that works spectacularly you know just some of the he knows a lot of signs he's got a teddy bear bunny so bunny's one of them um which is this <laughs> oh, um, and a lot of the signs are actually things that babies do naturally and some yeah. of the signs are are like a- ASL anyway but it's just it's, it's so helpful and it means that he can be across the room and say I love you mommy and it's just it's really nice to have that sort of connection um, or I'm in pain or I want some medicine and 
just little things like that. And particularly when we've got um, other people over who may not, I said nicely, who may not be as um, understanding of his needs, his sensory needs, because um, he is a very sensitive child who gets very overwhelmed with a lot of noise and attention. He needs quiet time. And in our house, he hides behind the couch. Yeah, there's a space where he can just sneak around. And he hides behind the couch to have quiet time. But when they've got people over that constantly want to cuddle him and pick him up and talk to him and, and he doesn't get that, then he can actually sign help from across the room. And, and because they don't know what sign language is, you just see him do the little help sign. And it's like, I go over there and say, oh, I, I think he just wants some mummy time and I take him out of there. And it's just... It's really helpful. It, it's it's really built our relationship, and he does it with me and my partner as well. So that's wonderful. That's that's really wonderful. I um I hope that one of our four produces children. Um, although <laughs> when I say things like that, they always feel so pressured, and of course, they don't have to have children just for me. Um, but um, it would be wonderful to get a do-over as a grandparent to be able to come in there knowing some of the stuff that I know now um, and having had some of those experiences and just that that better understanding of who we are and who we're meant to be and and the rest is all malarkey. Um, I, I, I wish that I could, um, yeah, I, I hope that I'll get a chance to um, influence positively uh, my children as parents and uh, being a grandparent potentially one day would be great, yeah. I think you've probably been way too hard on yourself, Tammy. <laughs> you look you look in the rearview mirror and um one of the things about having young adults is that they're now at that stage where they're starting to realize that uh, mum was never a superhero or a super villain she was just a human being um and uh you know as they're starting to go through their experiences I think they're reframing their own childhoods and there'll be some bits where they were like you were really crap at that uh, and there'll be other times where they're like, you know, hey, you were really good at this. Um, but and, and it's an interesting phase for me about getting all of that honest feedback now. Um, and uh, I've done a lot of apologising for things I could have done better. Um, but I'm also really proud of how well I did, um, given that I have so many different disabilities and I was so young and I was alone. I, I'm really proud that... Um, you know, they're all incredible, wonderful human beings uh, and um, the self-esteem issues that have come for them for being neurodivergent haven't come from me rejecting them or from me uh, putting expectations on them or expecting them to behave in a certain way and so I can be proud of that. Uh, and I certainly, you know, <laughs> overprotective, yes. Um, also managed to keep them safe a lot of the time. So you weigh it all up when you're looking in the rearview mirror, I think. Well, I, I heard somewhere that parents are, I think when we start out with teachers and we progress to mentors and then consults. <laughs> and, um, and you're probably in the consultation phase, Tammy, and you know you probably, you shouldn't be so hard on yourself because I don't, we never stop needing well I know I'll never stop needing my mum at least <laughs> and um I think that I'll try not to get emotional um 
that you know you can still influence your children as young adults and you know as a consultant yes uh, and giving them the strategies and support because our disabilities or diversities never go away and we still need help constantly I still need help whether it's my partner who's helping me or my mum or my auntie reading my papers for my doctorate like continuously so I think you know your your children are still going to need that support and guidance it's just in a different phase of their lives oh absolutely and uh yeah I think that is one of the great things um I guess about the late diagnosis is that better late than never um and I now have that opportunity to role model how to cope um, in society knowing that you're neurodivergent and I can role model, uh, you know, how to advocate and how to ask for what you need and uh, how to challenge systems and challenge authority when things are unrealistically unfair and how to cope when things are unfair and you can't change them there's there's so much role modeling that I can do now um, for my kids um, and also for my friends and my friends kids um, wherever I can um, so yeah it's, it's definitely not all over <laughs> like you say I think um, when uh, you know when I have all the the family together and, and we're just a bunch of stray cats um, you know, trying to catch up over dinner or whatever, and all the dynamics are still there, no matter how much older everybody gets. And um, yeah, you, you're still parenting. It's just, um, it's kind of like you're in the passenger seat and they're driving now instead of they're in the back seat and you're driving. It's, it's a strange thing. Yeah. Are there any um, words of wisdom that you could give parents? that might be listening uh, about for themselves, not so much about, um, you know, because we could have whole different podcasts on parenting neurodiverse oh. children. Um, but <laughs> this is really around us as parents that are neurodiverse. Mm-hmm. So is there anything that you think that you've learned um, autumn as a new mum? And, you know, COVID was really hard for us being locked up um, in Melbourne for so long. Uh, not having any types of support. Uh, but as a new mum, is there anything you could, you might want to share? Hmm. Um, I think possibly two things. The first thing that I have discovered is that, at least for my son anyway, I, when I reflect on being a parent, I think as a society, we think our children don't understand anything. So I think a lot of parents may not speak to their children in adult ways and may not give full explanations of what's going on. And um, I think that that's actually a disservice. And you certainly see it in children. And not that children can't have this um, joyful, childlike experience of the world, but there are a lot of children that I see who don't seem to understand how things work. And perhaps this is a autistic um, expression on my part, um, but like I'm, 
I explain things in adult descriptions to my child. So, for example, it was his birthday recently and he was fascinated with the fact that he had balloons that were floating, like, up in the air, set helium in them. Um, and he just couldn't get over the fact that these things were floating when everything else falls. So I just told him that helium is a gas that makes things, you know, stay up. It's the opposite to gravity. And I sort of made it a teaching moment, I guess. And um, we actually have a, a board book for him, which is called the ABCs of space, uh, which we bought as a joke, really, because it, it, it talks about physics and, you know, A is for asteroid and stuff. B is for binary star, that sort of thing. And um, when I told him that, he was like, mm, okay. And then he came home later and we brought the balloons and he went over to his board book and I was like, oh, okay. And then he went over to the page of helium and he's pointing at helium. And I just thought, he clearly knows what we're talking about. And he's one, <laughs> you know, and... Wow. And it's just sort of like he's at the moment, he's unscrewing bolts. So our table, we have to constantly go by and re readjust it because he's decided that he wants to unscrew things. Because I told him, uh, I told him that the bolts hold on the table legs <laughs> and they, you know, righty tighty, lefty loosey kind of thing. And now he's trying to unscrew everything. And deconstruct everything and he goes over to chairs and goes this has got a different bolt in it than that other one you know like he sort of points out these things and I, I sort of thought well this is a child is not a little nothing it's not a blank slate it's this amazing brilliant person that has the capacity to fully understand the world if only you're willing to share that with them and um, from me being uh, autistic and my partner having his own neurodiverse conditions, we're very intellectual and we certainly impart that upon our child. But the more we talk about things in an adult way, like explaining life and things, the more our child seems to want to know things. So um, when adults talk to my son in a baby way, he looks at them like, what? what are you doing talking to me like that? You know, like he just, <laughs> he seems to understand that it, that, that this is not the way that someone should speak to a child. And I, I sort of think that's an important thing to kind of put out there to parents is um, children have the capacity for so much. And if you just, you know, share this knowledge that you have on whatever topic, I mean, it doesn't mean you know, you may not know anything about physics, it may not be your thing. But if you know a lot about fixing cars, then if you're, you know, you're carrying your baby there and you're, you're, I don't know anything about fixing cars. But so if you open up your, the, the boots or the thing where all the stuff is, and then you talk to them about carburetors and pipes, and, and then you actually fully explain it, this will actually be an exciting learning, you know, for the child, and it will grow there their language capacity and their brain and just their curiosity. So I really want to say that. I think that's really, really important. Um, and the other side of it is I have learned very much to be okay with whatever I am experiencing. So what is, um, and this is something that I think is important. Um, I have my own issues, my own mental health issues, my days that I'm really not feeling it, um, the, the times that I um, 
get really overwhelmed, where I forget things, where I can get um, so emotional that I actually can't deal. And when I have my partner around, he steps in and goes, Autumn, you need to take time out. And I just, you know, he basically shoves me away from the kid. <laughs> but when I, when he's not around and I have just one-on-one with my baby, I have got into the habit of actually telling my baby how I feel. So I say, mommy is really emotional right now and she can't focus on things. And, she, you know, I'm really sorry that I can't be the mom that you really need right now because I can't, my head's all fuzzy. You know, I try to explain in the best way I can. And I've actually noticed again that my son understands and in, in a baby way, yeah, he understands. And so um, he either comes to me to give me a cuddle. Um, he's tried to do that when I've had an asthma attack, which I just thought was amazing. Um, he stops what he's doing and he goes over to me and tries to hug me better. Um, and in other ways too, he just, um, he either calms down if he's been a bit screamy or um, he just plays quietly, but there is this understanding. And I think if we as parents can show our authentic self, then that actually makes the, the child better I think I can't think of the words to explain it entirely um, but also if it gets too hard and that they certainly share a lot of this in um, the Raising Children um, Network um, information too there are times when I just can't deal with it and when he's been really young and I just put him in his cot and he might be crying but I close the door and I just take 10 minutes for myself to calm myself down so it's not that I just you know I'm not aggressive to him. I'll put him in his cot so he's safe and then I will go because it, it's okay to take time for yourself and it's okay um, to step away and it's okay to be in your head, in your own messy self. Um, if you are aware of what's going on in, in yourself, does that sort of make sense? So my summary is one, your child is an amazing, capable, brilliant young human. So talk to them like they are that. And two, if you are feeling whatever you're feeling, you can either tell your child that, which will help build their emotional responsibility and awareness, or you just take time for you and it's okay to step away. Tammy, what would you like to add before we wrap up today? Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, don't apologize. No, that was fantastic. <laughs> And that it's was, been a great conversation. I'd like to have more. Again, I'm so sorry, Shane. <laughs> uh, that was beautiful, Autumn. Um, that was so well said. Um, there is no such thing as a perfect parent. It is fraud. I'm telling you, it is a myth that has been created and you are not going to meet a parent who has never raised their voice, who has never lost it, who's never needed time out, who's never you know, wished their lives away um, and been frustrated or just burst into tears with frustration and exhaustion, that is parenting. There is, there's no right way to parent or, you know, no excellent parenting technique. We all just do the best that we can and hold on for dear life. And, um, look, I love everything you say. You just look delighting your child. 
Love them for who they are. Drop the expectations. Stop looking at the developmental milestones or worrying about what grade your child's getting compared to other kids. Love the child you've got and be their ally and fight like a lion for them when you need to. Um, and make sure that uh, everyone around them, um, particularly in schoolwork, can be so hard that they have all the information they need to support your child and uh, that they are absolutely championing your child and be their ally at home, be their safe place to return to when the world sucks, um, where they can have their privacy and their time out and just be adored and delighted in. You know, that's if, if we can do that, we're all, you know, even some of the time, we're all doing a great job. Thank you so much both of you for this chat and I'd love to have another one I think autumn we could do a whole session just on COVID and new babies <laughs> there's always so much every time we catch up I just in my head there's all the all these other topics I'd love to talk about and I think this is a, a really nice introduction to starting to talk about um, managing as a neurodiverse parent and um, the different challenges, but the different strengths we bring to everything, um, whether it's work, family, our personal lives. And uh, we didn't even get to touch on managing work and family today. So we clearly will have to do another catch up because it's always so lovely. I feel like we're just sitting in the lounge room having a bit of a yarn about how we're all going. So thank you both. Was there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? this afternoon only one thing I want to just throw over to Tammy was you were a single mom and that is amazing I when when I was sort of reflecting on um my experience as a mother last night I got quite emotional with my partner and said if it wasn't for you you know I don't think I'd be able to be a good mom and I don't think I'd be able to manage anything so it's and I, I was raised by a single mom um, as well and it's it's hard it's hard to do it all by yourself and I'm so lucky that I have a partner who can step in and be there with, for me when I'm having challenges but there are of course many other people who don't have that they're either a single dad or a single mom and they're um, or a single person, a single parent raising um, a, a child. And it's, it is hard. So I think that you should or try to give yourself a little bit of love about that. You know, you, you did it by yourself, Tammy, and you had um, multiple kids. <laughs> Yeah, well, with with life as well. And, oh, amazing and you didn't know that you were neurodivergent. So um Well, I was um I was very, very lucky to fall in love with an incredible uh man um who got us all through the teenage years together somehow. Uh so I can only take credit for the childhood, not not the whole lot. Um, <laughs> I absolutely have to share credit there with my husband. We have more opportunities now than ever, thankfully, with the internet, which I didn't have back then, um, to create our own communities, reach out to other neurodivergent families, listen to neurodivergent adults, talk about their experiences to help you be a more comfortable parent and more confident in the way you're parenting. Um, and uh, whether, whether you've got a 
a massive family and support system around you or you're alone, you can still build your own community and, and get that support that you need. Thank you both so much for this chat. And we'll have to come together again for another chat. Maybe we'll do a Facebook Live next time. Oh, that sounds like fun. That would be great. If you'd like to find out more about Autumn, Tammy or Rebecca or to watch any of the other episodes from our conference, head to the D-Hub. And if you haven't done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we're doing, including our advocacy and awareness work, peer support programs, research and the D-Hub, our digital learning platform for all your needs. If you love this podcast, well, why not sponsor one today? To find out more, head to deardyslexic.com.